Part thirteen of Chance by Joseph Conrad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part thirteen. No woman, however simple, could be as ingenuous as that. I don't know how Flora de Barral qualified him in her thoughts when he told her of having done this amongst other things intended to make her comfortable. I should think that, for all her simplicity, she must have been appalled. He stood before her on the appointed day, outwardly calmer than she had ever seen him before. And this very calmness, that scrupulous attitude which he felt bound in honour to assume then and for ever, unless she would condescend to make a sign at some future time, added to the heaviness of her heart, innocent of the most pardonable guile. The night before she had slept better than she had done for the past ten nights. Both youth and weariness will assert themselves in the end against the tyranny of nerve-wracking stress. She had slept, but she woke up with her eyes full of tears. There were no traces of them when she met him in the shabby little parlour downstairs. She had swallowed them up. She was not going to let him see. She felt bound in honour to accept the situation for ever and ever, unless, ah, unless. She dissembled all her sentiments, but it was not duplicity on her part. All she wanted was to get at the truth, to see what would come of it. She beat him at his own honourable game, and the thoroughness of her serenity disconcerted Anthony a bit. It was he who stammered when it came to talking. The suppressed fierceness of his character carried him on after the first word or two masterfully enough, but it was as if they both had taken a bite of the same bitter fruit. He was thinking with mournful regret, not unmixed with surprise, that fellow Fine has been telling me the truth. She does not care for me a bit. It humiliated him, and also increased his compassion for the girl, who in this darkness of life, buffeted and despairing, had fallen into the grip of his stronger will, abandoning herself to his arms as on a night of shipwreck. Flora on her side, with partial insight, for women are never blind with the complete masculine blindness, looked on him with some pity, and she felt pity for herself too. It was a rejection, a casting out, nothing new to her. But she who supposed all her sensibility dead by this time discovered in herself a resentment of this ultimate betrayal. She had no resignation for this one. With a sort of mental sullenness she said to herself, Well, I am here. I am here without any nonsense. It is not my fault that I am a mere worthless object of pity. And these things which she could tell herself with a clear conscience served her better than the passionate obstinacy of purpose could serve Roderick Anthony. She was much more sure of herself than he was. Such are the advantages of mere rectitude 
over the most exalted generosity and so they went out to get married the people of the house where she lodged having no suspicion of anything of the sort they were only excited at a gentleman friend a very fine man too calling on miss smith for the first time since she had come to live in the house when she returned for she did come back alone there were allusions made to that outing she had to take her meals with these rather vulgar people the woman of the house a scraggy genteel person tried even to provoke confidences flora's white face with the deep blue eyes did not strike their hearts as it did the heart of captain anthony as the very face of the suffering world her pained reserve had no power to awe them into decency well she returned alone as in fact might have been expected after leaving the registry office flora de barral and roderick anthony had gone for a walk in a park it must have been an east end park but i am not sure anyway that's what they did it was a sunny day he said to her everything i have in the world belongs to you i have seen to that without troubling my brother-in-law they have no call to interfere she walked with her hand resting lightly on his arm he had offered it to her on coming out of the registry office and she had accepted it silently her head drooped she seemed to be turning matters over in her mind she said alluding to the fines they have been very good to me at that he exclaimed they have never understood you well not properly my sister is not a bad woman but flora didn't protest asking herself whether he imagined that he himself understood her so much better anthony dismissing his family out of his thoughts went on yes everything is yours i have kept nothing back as to the piece of paper we have just got from that miserable quill driver if it wasn't for the law i wouldn't mind if you tore it up here now on this spot but don't do it unless you should feel some day that he choked unexpectedly she reflective hesitated a moment then making up her mind bravely neither am i keeping anything back from you she had said it but he in his blind generosity assumed that she was alluding to her deplorable history and hastened to mutter of course of course say no more i have been lying awake thinking of it all no end of times he made a movement with his other arm as if restraining himself from shaking an indignant fist at the universe and she never even attempted to look at him his voice sounded strangely incredibly lifeless in comparison with these tempestuous accents that in the broad fields in the dark garden had seemed to shake the very earth under her weary and hopeless feet she regretted them hearing the sigh which escaped her anthony instead of shaking his fist at the universe began to pat her hand resting on his arm 
and then desisted suddenly as though he had burnt himself then after a silence you will have to go by yourself to-morrow i no i think i mustn't come better not what you two will have to say to each other she interrupted him quickly father is an innocent man he was cruelly wronged yes that's why anthony insisted earnestly and you are the only human being that can make it up to him you alone must reconcile him with the world if anything can but of course you shall you'll have to find words oh you'll know and then the sight of you alone will soothe he's the gentlest of men she interrupted again anthony shook his head it would take no end of generosity no end of gentleness to forgive such a dead set for my part i would have liked better to have been killed and done with at once it could not have been worse for you and i suppose it was of you that he was thinking most while those infernal lawyers were badgering him in court of you and now i think of it perhaps the sight of you may bring it all back to him all these years all these years and you his child left alone in the world i would have gone crazy for even if he had done wrong but he hasn't insisted flora de barral with a quite unexpected fierceness you mustn't even suppose it haven't you read the accounts of the trial i am not supposing anything anthony defended himself he just remembered hearing of the trial he assured her that he was away from england the second voyage of the ferndale he was crossing the pacific from australia at the time and didn't see any papers for weeks and weeks he interrupted himself to suggest you had better tell him at once that you are happy he had stammered a little and flora de barral uttered a deliberate and concise yes a short silence ensued she withdrew her hand from his arm they stopped anthony looked as if a totally unexpected catastrophe had happened ah he said you mind no i think i had better she murmured i dare say i dare say bring him along straight on board to-morrow stop nowhere she had a movement of vague gratitude a momentary feeling of peace which she referred to the man before her she looked up at anthony his face was sombre he was miles away and muttered as if to himself where could he want to stop though there's not a single being on earth that i would want to look at his dear face now to whom i would willingly take him she said extending her hand frankly and with a slight break in her voice but you roderick he took that hand felt it very small and delicate in his broad palm that's right that's right he said with a conscious and hasty heartiness and as if suddenly ashamed of the sound of his voice turned half round and absolutely walked away from the motionless girl he even resisted the temptation to look back till it was too late the gravel path lay empty to the very gate of the park she was gone vanished he had an impression that he had missed some sort of chance 
he felt sad that excited sense of his own conduct which had kept him up for the last ten days buoyed him no more he had succeeded he strolled on aimlessly a prey to gentle melancholy he walked and walked there were but few people about in th this breathing space of a poor neighborhood under certain conditions of life there is precious little time left for mere breathing but still a few here and there were indulging in that luxury yet few as they were captain anthony though the least exclusive of men resented their presence solitude had been his best friend he wanted some place where he could sit down and be alone and in his need his thoughts turned to the sea which had given him so much of that congenial solitude there if always with his ship but that was an integral part of him he could always be as solitary as he chose yes go out to sea the night of the town with its strings of lights rigid and crossed like a net of flames thrown over the sombre immensity of walls closed round him with its artificial brilliance overhung by an emphatic blackness its unnatural animation of a restless overdriven humanity his thoughts which somehow were inclined to pity every passing figure every single person glimpsed under a street lamp fixed themselves at last upon a figure which certainly could not have been seen under the lamps on that particular night a figure unknown to him a figure shut up within high unscalable walls of stone or bricks till next morning the figure of flora de barral's father de barral the financier the convict there is something in that word with its suggestions of guilt and retribution which arrests the thought we feel ourselves in the presence of the power of organized society a thing mysterious in itself and still more mysterious in its effect whether guilty or innocent it was as if old de barral had been down to the nether regions impossible to imagine what he would bring out from there to the light of this world of uncondemned men what would he think what would he have to say and what was one to say to him anthony a little awed as one is by a range of feelings stretching beyond one's grasp comforted himself by the thought that probably the old fellow would have little to say he wouldn't want to talk about it no man would it must have been a real hell to him and then anthony at the end of the day in which he had gone through a marriage ceremony with flora de barral ceased to think of flora's father except as in some sort the captive of his triumph he turned to the mental contemplation of the white delicate and appealing face with great blue eyes which he had seen weep and wonder and look profoundly at him sometimes with incredulity sometimes with doubt and pain but always irresistible in the power to find their way right into his breast to stir there a deep response which was something more than love he said to himself as men understood it 
more? Or was it only something other? Yes, it was something other, more or less, something as incredible as the fulfillment of an amazing and startling dream in which he could take the world in his arms, all the suffering world, not to possess its pathetic fairness, but to console and cherish its sorrow. Anthony walked slowly to the ship, and that night slept without dreams. CHAPTER Five, THE GREAT DIBERAL Renovated, certainly, the saloon of the Ferndale was to receive the strange woman. The mellowness of its old-fashioned, tarnished decoration was gone, and Anthony, looking round, saw the glitter, the gleams, the color of new things, untried, unused, very bright, too bright. The workmen had gone only last night, and the last piece of work they did was the hanging of the heavy curtains which looped midway the length of the saloon, divided it into two if released, cutting off the after end with its companionway leading direct on the poop from the forepart with its outlet on the deck making a privacy within a privacy, as though Captain Anthony could not place obstacles enough between his new happiness and the men who shared his life at sea. He inspected that arrangement with an approving eye, then made a particular visitation of the whole, ending by opening a door which led into a large stateroom made of two knocked into one. It was very well furnished, and had, instead of the usual bed-place of such cabins, an elaborate swinging cot of the latest pattern. Anthony tilted it a little by way of trial. The old man will be very comfortable in here, he said to himself, and stepped back into the saloon, closing the door gently. Then another thought occurred to him, obvious under the circumstances, but strangely enough presenting itself for the first time. Jove, won't he get a shock, thought Roderick Anthony. He went hastily on deck. Mr. Franklin, Mr. Franklin. The mate was not very far. Oh, here you are. Miss, Mrs. Anthony will be coming on board presently. Just give me a call when you see the cab. Then, without noticing the gloominess of the mate's countenance, he went in again. Not a friendly word, not a professional remark, or a small joke, not as much as a simple and inane fine day. Nothing. Just turned about and went in. We know that, when the moment came, he thought better of it, and decided to meet Flora's father in that privacy of the main cabin, which he had been so careful to arrange why anthony appeared to shrink from the contact he who was sufficiently self-confident not only to face but to absolutely create a situation almost insane in its audacious generosity is difficult to explain perhaps when he came on the poop for a glance he found that man so different outwardly from what he expected that he decided to meet him for the first time out of everybody's sight possibly the general secrecy of his relation
to the girl might have influenced him truly he may well have been dismayed that man's coming brought him face to face with the necessity to speak and act a lie to appear what he was not and what he could never be unless unless in short we'll say if you like that for various reasons all having to do with the delicate rectitude of his nature roderick anthony a man of whom his chief mate used to say he doesn't know what fear is was frightened there is a nemesis which overtakes generosity too like all the other imprudences of men who dare to be lawless and proud why do you say this i inquired for marlow had stopped abruptly and kept silent in the shadow of the bookcase i say this because that man whom chance had thrown in flora's way was both lawless and proud whether he knew anything about it or not it does not matter very likely not one may fling a glove in the face of nature and in the face of one's own moral endurance quite innocently with a simplicity which wears the aspect of perfectly satanic conceit however as i have said it does not matter it's a transgression all the same and has got to be paid for in the usual way but never mind that i paused because like anthony i find a difficulty a sort of dread in coming to grips with old de barral you remember i had a glimpse of him once he was not an imposing personality tall thin straight stiff faded moving with short steps and with a gliding motion speaking in an even lower voice when the sea was rough he wasn't much seen on deck at least not walking he caught hold of things then and dragged himself along as far as the after skylight where he would sit for hours our then young friend offered once to assist him and this service was the first beginning of a sort of friendship he clung hard to one powell says with no figurative intention powell was always on the lookout to assist and to assist mainly mrs anthony because he clung so jolly hard to her that powell was afraid of her being dragged down notwithstanding that she very soon became very sure-footed in all sorts of weather and powell was the only one ready to assist at hand because anthony by that time seemed to be afraid to come near them the unforgiving franklin always looked wrathfully the other way the boatswain if up there acted likewise but sheepishly and any hands that happened to be on the poop a feeling spreads mysteriously all over a ship shunned him as though he had been the devil we know how he arrived on board for my part i know so little of prisons that i haven't the faintest notion how one leaves them it seems as abominable an operation as the other the shutting up with its mental suggestions of bang snap crash and the empty silence outside 
where an instant before you were you were and now no longer are perfectly devilish and the release i don't know which is worse how do they do it pull the string door flies open man flies through out you go adios and in the space where a second before you were not in the silent space there is a figure going away limping why limping i don't know that's how i see it one has a notion of a maiming crippling process of the individual coming back damaged in some subtle way i admit it is a fantastic hallucination but i can't help it of course i know that the proceedings of the best machine-made humanity are employed with judicious care and so on i am absurd no doubt but still oh yes it's idiotic when i pass one of these places did you notice that there is something infernal about the aspect of every individual stone or brick of them something malicious as if matter were enjoying its revenge of the contemptuous spirit of man did you notice you didn't eh well i am perhaps a little mad on that point when i pass one of these places i must avert my eyes i couldn't have gone to meet de barral i should have shrunk from the ordeal you'll notice that it looks as if anthony a brave man indubitably had shirked it too little fine's flight of fancy picturing three people in the fatal four-wheeler you remember went wide of the truth there were only two people in the four-wheeler flora did not shrink women can stand anything the dear creatures have no imagination when it comes to solid facts of life in sentimental regions i won't say it's another thing altogether there they shrink from or rush to embrace ghosts of their own creation just the same as any fool man would no i suppose the girl flora went on that errand reasonably and then why this was the moment for which she had lived it was her only point of contact with existence oh yes she had been assisted by the fines and kindly certainly kindly but that's not enough there is a kind way of assisting our fellow-creatures which is enough to break their hearts while it saves their outer envelope how cold how infernally cold she must have felt unless when she was made to burn with indignation or shame man we know cannot live by bread alone but hang me if i don't believe that some women could live by love alone if there be a flame in human beings fed by varied ingredients earthly and spiritual which tinge it in different hues then i seem to see the colour of theirs it is azure what the devil are you laughing at marlow jumped up and strode out of the shadow as if lifted by indignation but there was the flicker of a smile on his lips you say i don't know women maybe it's just as well not to come too close to the shrine but i have a clear notion of woman in all of them termagant flirt crank washerwoman blue stocking outcast and even in the ordinary fool 
of the ordinary commerce there is something left if only a spark and when there is a spark there can always be a flame he went back into the shadow and sat down again i don't mean to say that florrie barral was one of the sort that could live by love alone in fact she had managed to live without but still in the distrust of herself and of others she looked for love any kind of love as women will and that confounded jail was the only spot where she could see it for she had no reason to distrust her father she was there in good time i see her gazing across the road at these walls which are properly speaking awful you do indeed seem to feel along the very lines and angles of the unholy bulk the fall of time drop by drop hour by hour leaf by leaf with a gentle and implacable slowness and a voiceless melancholy comes over one invading overpowering like a dream penetrating and mortal like poison when de Barral came out she experienced a sort of shock to see that he was exactly as she remembered him perhaps a little smaller otherwise unchanged you come out in the same clothes you know i can't tell whether he was looking for her no doubt he was whether he recognized her very likely she crossed the road and at once there was reproduced at a distance of years as if by some mocking witchcraft the sight so familiar on the parade at brighton of the financier de barral walking with his only daughter one comes out of prison in the same clothes one wore on the day of condemnation no matter how long one has been put away there oh they last they last but there is something which is preserved by prison life even better than one's discarded clothing it is the force the vividness of one's sentiments a monastery will do that too but in the unholy claustration of a jail you are thrown back wholly upon yourself for god and faith are not there the people outside disperse their affections you hoard yours you nurse them into intensity what they let slip what they forget in the movement and changes of free life you hold on to amplify exaggerate into a rank growth of memories they can look with a smile at the troubles and pains of the past but you can't old pains keep on gnawing at your heart old desires old deceptions old dreams assailing you in the dead stillness of your present where nothing moves except the irrevocable minutes of your life de barral was out and for a time speechless being led away almost before he had taken possession of the free world by his daughter flora controlled herself well they walked along quickly for some distance the cab had been left round the corner round several corners for all i know he was flustered out of breath when she helped him in and followed herself 
inside that rolling box turning towards that recovered presence with her heart too full for words she felt the desire of tears she had managed to keep down abandon her suddenly her half mournful half triumphant exultation subside every fibre of her body relaxed in tenderness go stiff in the close look she took at his face he was different there was something yes there was something between them something hard and impalpable the ghost of these high walls how old he was how unlike she shook off this impression amazed and frightened by it of course and remorseful too naturally she threw her arms round his neck he returned that hug awkwardly as if not in perfect control of his arms with a fumbling and uncertain pressure she hid her face on his breast it was as though she were pressing it against a stone they released each other and presently the cab was rolling along at a jog trot to the docks with those two people as far apart as they could get from each other in opposite corners after a silence given up to mutual examination he uttered his first coherent sentence outside the walls of the prison what has done for me was envy envy there was a lot of them just bursting with it every time they looked my way i was doing too well so they went to the public prosecutor she said hastily yes yes i know and he glared as if resentful that the child had turned into a young woman without waiting for him to come out what do you know about it he asked you were too young his speech was soft the old voice the old voice it gave her a thrill she recognized its pointless gentleness always the same no matter what he had to say and she remembered that he never had much to say when he came down to see her it was she who chattered chattered on their walks while stiff and with a rigidly carried head he dropped a gentle word now and then moved by these recollections waking up within her she explained to him that within the last year she had read and studied the report of the trial i went through the files of several papers papa he looked at her suspiciously the reports were probably very incomplete no doubt the reporters had garbled his evidence they were determined to give him no chance either in court or before the public opinion it was a conspiracy my counsel was a fool too he added did you notice a perfect fool she laid her hand on his arm soothingly is it worth while talking about that awful time it is so far away now she shuddered slightly at the thought of all the horrible years which had passed over her young head never guessing that for him the time was but yesterday he folded his arms on his breast leaned back in his corner and bowed his head but in a little while he made her jump 
by asking suddenly who has got hold of the lone valley railway that's what they were after mainly somebody has got it parfitts and company grabbed it hey eh? or was it that fellow warner i i don't know she said quite scared by the twitching of his lips don't know he exclaimed softly hadn't her cousins told her oh yes she had left them of course why did she it was his first question about herself but she did not answer it she did not want to talk of these horrors they were impossible to describe she perceived though that he had not expected an answer because she heard him muttering to himself that there was half a million's worth of work done and material accumulated there you mustn't think of these things papa she said firmly and he asked her with that invariable gentleness in which she seemed now to detect some rather ugly shades what else had he to think about another year or two if they had only left him alone he and everybody else would have been all right rolling in money and she his daughter could have married anybody anybody a lord all this was to him like yesterday a long yesterday a yesterday gone over innumerable times analyzed meditated upon for years it had a vividness and force for that old man of which his daughter who had not been shut out of the world could have no idea she was to him the only living figure out of that past and it was perhaps in perfect good faith that he added coldly inexpressive and thin-lipped i lived only for you i may say i suppose you understand that there were only you and me moved by this declaration wondering that it did not warm her heart more she murmured a few endearing words while the uppermost thought in her mind was that she must tell him now of the situation she had expected to be questioned anxiously about herself and while she desired it she shrank from the answers she would have to make but her father seemed strangely unnaturally incurious it looked as if there would be no questions still this was an opening this seemed to be the time for her to begin and she began she began by saying that she had always felt like that there were two of them to live for each other and if he only knew what she had gone through ensconced in his corner with his arms folded he stared out of the cab window at the street how little he had changed after all it was the unmovable expression the faded stare she used to see on the esplanade whenever walking by his side hand in hand she raised her eyes to his face while she chattered chattered it was the same stiff silent figure which at a word from her would turn rigidly into a shop and by her anything it occurred to her that she would like to have flora de barral's voice faltered he bent on her 
that well-remembered glance in which she had never read anything as a child except the consciousness of her existence and that was enough for a child who had never known demonstrative affection but she had lived a life so starved of all feeling that this was no longer enough for her what was the good of telling him the story of all these miseries now past and gone of all those bewildering difficulties and humiliations what she must tell him was difficult enough to say she approached it by remarking cheerfully you haven't even asked me where i am taking you he started like a somnambulist awakened suddenly and there was now some meaning in his stare a sort of alarmed speculation he opened his mouth slowly flora struck in with forced gaiety you would never guess he waited still more startled and suspicious guess why don't you tell me he uncrossed his arms and leaned forward towards her she got hold of one of his hands you must know first she paused without an effort i am married papa for a moment they kept perfectly still in that cab rolling on at a steady jog-trot through a narrow city street full of bustle whatever she expected she did not expect to feel his hand snatched away from her grasp as if from a burn or a contamination de barral fresh from the stagnant torment of the prison where nothing happens had not expected that sort of news it seemed to stick in his throat in strangled low tones he cried out you married you flora when married what for who to married his eyes which were blue like hers only faded without depth seemed to start out of their orbits he did really look as if he were choking he even put his hand to his collar you know continued marlow out of the shadow of the bookcase and nearly invisible in the depths of the armchair the only time i saw him he had given me the impression of absolute rigidity as though he had swallowed a poker but it seemed that he could collapse i can hardly picture this to myself i understand that he did collapse to a certain extent in his corner of the cab the unexpected had crumpled him up she regarded him perplexed pitying a little disillusioned and nodded at him gravely yes married what did she not like was to see him smile in a manner far from encouraging to the devotion of a daughter there was something unintentionally savage in it old de barral could not quite command his muscles as yet but he had recovered command of his gentle voice you were just saying that in this wide world there we were only you and i to stick to each other she was dimly aware of the scathing intention lurking in these soft low tones in these words which appealed to her poignantly she defended herself never never for a single moment 
had she ceased to think of him neither did he cease to think of her he said with as much sinister emphasis as he was capable of but papa she cried i haven't been shut up like you she didn't mind speaking of it because he was innocent he hadn't been understood it was a misfortune of the most cruel kind but no more disgraceful than an illness a maiming accident or some other visitation of blind fate i wish i had been too but i was alone out in the world the horrid world that very world which had used you so badly and you couldn't go about in it without finding somebody to fall in love with he said a jealous rage affected his brain like the fumes of wine rising from some secret depths of his being so long deprived of all emotions the hollows at the corners of his lips became more pronounced in the puffy roundness of his cheeks images visions obsess with particular force men withdrawn from the sights and sounds of active life and i did nothing but think of you he exclaimed under his breath contemptuously think of you you haunted me i tell you flora said to herself that there was a being who loved her then we have been haunting each other she declared with a pang of remorse for indeed he had haunted her nearly out of the world into a final and irremediable desertion some day i shall tell you no i don't think i can ever tell you there was a time when i was mad but what's the good it's all over now we shall forget all this there shall be nothing to remind us de barral moved his shoulders i should think you were mad to tie yourself to how long is it since you are married she answered not long that being the only answer she dared to make everything was so different from what she imagined it would be he wanted to know why she had said nothing of it in any of her letters in her last letter she said it was after so recently he wondered couldn't you wait at least till i came out you could have told me asked me consulted me let me see she shook her head negatively and he was appalled he thought to himself who can he be some miserable silly youth without a penny or perhaps some scoundrel without making any expressive movement he wrung his loosely clasped hands till the joints cracked he looked at her she was pretty some low scoundrel who will cast her off some plausible vagabond you couldn't wait eh again she made a slight negative sign why not what was the hurry she cast down her eyes it had to be yes it was sudden but it had to be he leaned towards her his mouth open his eyes wild with virtuous anger but meeting the absolute candor of her raised glance threw himself back into his corner again so tremendously in love with each other 
was that it couldn't let a father have his daughter all to himself even for a day after after such a separation and you know i never had anyone i had no friends what did i want with those people one meets in the city the best of them are ready to cut your throat yes businessmen gentlemen all sort of men and women out of spite or to get something oh yes they can talk fair enough if they think there's something to be got out of you his voice was a mere breath yet every word came to flora as distinctly as if charged with all the moving power of passion my girl i looked at them making up to me and i would say to myself what do i care for all that i am a business man i am the great mr de barral yes yes some of them twisted their mouths at it but i was the great mr de barral and i have my little girl i wanted nobody and i have never had anybody a true emotion had unsealed his lips but the words that came out of them were no louder than the murmur of a light wind it died away that's just it said flora de barral under her breath without removing his eyes from her he took off his hat it was a tall hat the hat of the trial the hat of the thumbnail sketches in the illustrated papers one comes out in the same clothes but seclusion counts it is well known that lurid visions haunt secluded men monks hermits then why not prisoners de barral the convict took off his silk hat of the financier de barral and deposited it on the front seat of the cab then he blew out his cheeks he was red in the face and then what happens he began again in his contained voice here i am overthrown broken by envy malice and all uncharitableness i come out and what do i find i find that my girl flora has gone and married some man or other perhaps a fool how do i know or perhaps anyway not good enough stop papa a silly love affair as likely as not he continued monotonously his thin lips writhing between the ill-omened sunk corners and a very suspicious thing it is too on the part of a loving daughter she tried to interrupt him but he went on till she actually clapped her hand on his mouth he rolled his eyes a bit but when she took her hand away he remained silent wait i must tell you and first of all papa understand this for everything's in that he is the most generous man in the world he is de barral very still in his corner uttered with an effort you are in love with him papa he came to me i was thinking of you i had no eyes for anybody i could no longer bear to think of you it was then that he came only then at that time when when i was going to give up she gazed into his faded blue eyes as if yearning to be understood to be given encouragement peace a word of sympathy 
he declared without animation, I would like to break his neck. She had the mental exclamation of the overburdened, Oh, my God, and watched him with frightened eyes. But he did not appear insane or in any way formidable. This comforted her. The silence lasted for some little time. Then suddenly he asked, What's your name, then? For a moment, in the profound trouble of the task before her, she did not understand what the question meant. Then her face faintly flushing, she whispered, Anthony. Her father, a red spot on each cheek, leaned his head back wearily in the corner of the cab. Anthony, what is he? Where does he spring from? Papa, it was in the country. On a road, he groaned, on a road, and closed his eyes. It's too long to explain to you now. We shall have lots of time. There are things I could not tell you now, but some day, some day. For now nothing can part us, nothing. We are safe as long as we live. Nothing can ever come between us. You are infatuated with the fellow, he remarked, without opening his eyes, and she said, I believe in him, in a low voice. You and I must believe in him. Who the devil is he? He is the brother of the lady, you know, Mrs. Fine, she knew mother, who was so kind to me. I was staying in the country, in a cottage, with Mr. and Mrs. Fine. It was there that we met. He came on a visit. He noticed me. I, well, we are married now. She was thankful that his eyes were shut. It made it easier to talk of the future she had arranged, which now was an unalterable thing. She did not enter on the path of confidences. That was impossible. She felt he would not understand her. She felt also that he suffered. Now and then a great anxiety gripped her heart with a mysterious sense of guilt, as though she had betrayed him into the hands of an enemy. With his eyes shut, he had an air of weary and pious meditation. She was a little afraid of it. Next moment a great pity for him filled her heart, and in the background there was remorse. His face twitched now and then just perceptibly. He managed to keep his eyelids down till he heard that the husband was a sailor, and that he, the father, was being taken straight on board ship, ready to sail away from this abominable world of treacheries and scorns and envies and lies, away, away over the blue sea, the sure, the inaccessible, the uncontaminated, and spacious refuge for wounded souls. Something like that. Not the very words, perhaps, but such was the general sense of her overwhelming argument, the argument of refuge. I don't think she gave a thought to material conditions, but as part of that argument, set forth breathlessly, as if she were afraid that if she stopped for a moment she could never go on again, she mentioned that generosity of a stormy type, 
which had come to her from the sea had caught her up on the brink of unmentionable failure had whirled her away in its first ardent gust and could be trusted now implicitly trusted to carry them both side by side into absolute safety she believed it she affirmed it he understood thoroughly at last and at once the interior of that cab of an aspect so pacific in the eyes of the people on the pavements became the scene of a great agitation the generosity of roderick anthony the son of the poet affected the ex-financier de barral in a manner which must have brought home to flora de barral the extreme arduousness of the business of being a woman being a woman is a terribly difficult trade since it consists principally of dealings with men this man the man inside the cab cast off his stiff placidity and behaved like an animal i don't mean it in an offensive way what he did was to give way to an instinctive panic like some wild creature scared by the first touch of a net falling on its back old de barral began to struggle lank and angular against the empty air as much of it as there was in the cab with staring eyes and gasping mouth from which his daughter shrank as far as she could in the confined space stop the cab stop him i tell you let me get out were the strangled exclamations she heard why what for to do what he would hear nothing she cried to him papa papa what do you want to do and all she got from him was stop i must get out i want to think i must get out to think it was a mercy that he didn't attempt to open the door at once he only stuck his head and shoulders out of the window crying to the cabman she saw the consequences the cab stopping a crowd collecting around a raving old gentleman in this terrible business of being a woman so full of fine shades of delicate perplexities and very small rewards you can never know what rough work you may have to do at any moment without hesitation flora seized her father round the body and pulled back being astonished at the ease with which she managed to make him drop into his seat again she kept him there resolutely with one hand pressed against his breast and leaning across him she in her turn put her head and shoulders out of the window by then the cab had drawn up to the curbstone and was stopped no i've changed my mind go on please where you were told first to the docks she wondered at the steadiness of her own voice she heard a grunt from the driver and the cab began to roll again only then she sank into her place keeping a watchful eye on her companion he was hardly anything more by this time except for her childhood's impression he was just a man almost a stranger how was one to deal with him and there was the other too also almost a stranger 
the trade of being a woman was very difficult too difficult flora closed her eyes saying to herself if i think too much about it i shall go mad and then opening them she asked her father if the prospect of living always with his daughter and being taken care of by her affection away from the world which had no honour to give to his grey hairs was such an awful prospect tell me is it so bad as that she put that question sadly without bitterness the famous or notorious de barral had lost his rigidity now he was bent nothing more deplorably futile than a bent poker he said nothing she added gently suppressing an uneasy remorseful sigh and it might have been worse you might have found no one no one in all this town no one in all the world not even me poor papa she made a conscience-stricken movement towards him thinking oh i am horrible i am horrible and old de barral scared tired bewildered by the extraordinary shocks of his liberation swayed over and actually leaned his head on her shoulder as if sorrowing over his regained freedom the movement by itself was touching flora supporting him lightly imagined that he was crying and at the thought that had she smashed into a quarry that shoulder together with some other of her bones this grey and pitiful head would have had nowhere to rest she too gave way to tears they flowed quietly easing her overstrained nerves suddenly he pushed her away from him so that her head struck the side of the cab pushing himself away too from her as if something had stung him all the warmth went out of her emotion the very last tears turned cold on her cheek but their work was done she had found courage resolution as women do in a good cry with his hand covering the upper part of his face whether to conceal his eyes or to shut out an unbearable sight he was stiffening up in his corner to his usual poker-like consistency she regarded him in silence his thin obstinate lips moved he uttered the name of the cousin the man you remember who did not approve of the fines and whom rightly or wrongly little fine suspected of interested motives in view of de barral having possibly put away some plunder somewhere before the smash end of part 13